say most people know more about the show than I know about it. Um, I'm incredibly dumb. <laughs> so it's yeah, fine. I have, no it's totally I have no idea what's going on on our show. I mean, we literally say it on every episode. So. <laughs> we, uh, Wait, we're recording? <laughs> uh, we're That's for professional about it. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, what a silly intro. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Tanchi Show. This is the Feasty Boys, if you will. Uh, KJ, Nathan, and Patrick. Uh, Patrick, why do I call us the Feasty Boys? You call us the Feasty Boys because we feast on this show. And the reason we feast on this show is because the show is actually called. The John Chi Show, which you know because you clicked on the episode to listen. And John Chi in Korean means to feast. Um, and we also like to celebrate while we are feasting. So we celebrate each other's shared identities and heritages and cultures. One culture? I don't know. It's a whole bunch of stuff that we share. But we celebrate it sometimes with a guest, other times just by ourselves. Yeah. 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 It's I a thought great you were going to say it had something to do with the Beastie Boys, but... Yeah, it's a great pun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I I mean, I felt like that was already... that was, that was It's known. right there. Yeah. No, I mean, does I everyone know who the Beastie Boys are? I don't know. Is Raise it, your hands, <laughs> listeners. We'll wait. <laughs> you know? We'll wait. Nope. It's, not everyone <laughs> raised their hands, so that's what it is. Now we don't know. An inaccurate count. Go yeah. Google it. Oh, what are we doing today, boys? I think we got a good old, good old interview lined up today. Good old interview. We, uh, I mean, we have a you good can old see interview from the title. Yes. Oh, that's a good title. Good old. That interview. is a good title with <laughs> guest name. Because <laughs> we've transitioned from coming up with title names to only putting the guest name. <laughs> At least well, I have. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. I saw it's you fine. started doing it, and I was like, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that looks. Um. Yeah, Nathan. Why don't you talk about the the guests that we had on for this uh, episode? Sana. Yes, we had a great um interview. Actually, Sana it was somebody that we had met earlier before um having her on the show, and we were fortunate to have her as a guest. You may have heard some of her um voicemail. She left a little voicemail for us a while back. She's left a few questions for us before. And, um, yeah, and has been, you know, very supportive. And so we were honored to have her on the show because of all the things that she has done. And, uh, and her story is, is pretty amazing as well. She, she has definitely, this is, I no spoilers alert, but, but uh, <laughs> it was a great intro, I guess, uh, with, uh, with no the, spoilers <laughs> alert <laughs> with, um, starting out our conversation with her. So, um, it just pretty much paved the way for the rest of the, the, uh, the interview. Yeah, I thought it was a great interview. Um, I think we've just been on a roll lately. I mean, ever since we started the show, I think we've just been on a roll. But <laughs> I mean, ever um, since we started, you know, since since it became 2023 and we started bringing guests back, um, because you know we're, we've just been in shambles in terms of scheduling. It's been really good, and mm-hmm. I think this continues that strong run of really incredible, vulnerable um, episodes mm-hmm. and conversations that we're having with people in the community and yeah, Sana has been an incredible supporter of the show. Um, and yeah, it's just a big privilege to be able to have her on. 
And I know we say it with all of our guests uh, that we just wish we had more time some <laughs> with our interviews sometimes. But uh, this is true again. We we could have had you know a few more hours of of uh, discussion with her. So but we do say is, that about all of our guests. We do. Yep. We say that. So all right. <laughs> Without further ado, here is our conversation with Sana Leborn. Roll it. Roll it. Welcome back, everyone, to the John Chi Show. This is the interview portion, as we discussed briefly on the intro to this episode. Thank you for joining us again, and we're very excited to welcome our guest, Sana Leborn, to the show. Sana, thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I am so excited to be here with you all. I'm a super big fan of the show, as you know, from the voice messages I leave y'all and the comments (laughs) on the post. So I am so excited for us to have this chat. I do appreciate the frequent engagement. Um... That's the best part about community Support. is engaging yeah. with each other yeah, and yeah. supporting with each other. Supporting with each other? Supporting each other. <laughs> supporting each other. And Anyways. I also have to, for the listeners too, I also have to compliment you on your your color coordination. Your your headset matches your shirt too. That's, that's it awesome. It was totally unintentional, but yes, it's a whole vibe over here. All we do are vibes. And speaking of vibes... Um, as you well know, as we start all of our interviews, if you don't mind, we'd like to ask if you could share with us as much or as little of your story as you'd like. Uh, you know, it's so funny because I've listened to literally every single episode and I... <laughs> she really does know more about the show yeah. than we do. Yeah, I was like, I don't even know that I've listened to every single Dang episode, <laughs> so... <laughs> And so like this question, it seems so simple and straightforward, but you know, something that I really appreciated about the show is that at one point you all were saying, you know, like everyone answers a question and it's that same canned answer that we've been used to giving our entire life because we've had to as a defense mechanism, as just, you know, we've gotten used to it. And I, I can't remember which one of you all said, you know, like, what would it be like if we told Did. our story yeah, differently from our own perspective and not from like the perspective of our parents, not from the perspective of, you know, the assumptions that people have about us. And so I was like, what is my story? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I, I came to was something that I've been evolving into in the past couple years and really after I reclaimed my birth name. And that is, you know, finally being in a space in my life where I feel like I'm just one person and not a whole lot of separate identities um, or roles that I'm trying to keep separate from the many different people in my life. Um, and not and feeling free from shame, I think is the best way that I can explain it. Free from shame of, you know, being adopted um, and the assumptions that come with that. Free from shame of being quote unquote unwanted. Um, Free from the shame of, you know, around race, around family, around belonging. And to just say like, I have a right to be here and I'm worthy of being here and worthy of showing up exactly as I am, whatever that may be. And figuring out for myself, like, who who am I? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in this world? And, you know, I will be 40 um, on Wednesday. And Ooh, it's... happy birthday. <laughs> what? Hey. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And wait, it... you are. Wait, that's today. 
Yes. Yes. That's today, technically, fellas, because no. this episode's playing on a Wednesday. Yeah. Well, it might yes. be the following Wednesday. It'll be, we, yeah. It's belated. Oh, is this what? Yeah. Okay. See, so I always get confused on the timeline. Wow. It's the timeline. Time. The timeline. Time. Time. Yeah. The birthday is, is the 15th. Birthday. Yes. Our birthday is the 15th. Yes. Okay. The Wednesday that is the 15th of February. Right, <laughs> but, you know, it has taken me really in the past few years to actually come into that to say, like, I am who I am for me and not for what, you know, my family thinks I should be, not for friends, society. And so I think my story is a story of um, coming into acceptance of myself, of who I am as uh, Korean, as Korean American, as Asian American, um, coming into myself as an Asian American woman, right? Mm -hmm. And just freeing myself from the constraints and expectations um, of what it means to be adopted, of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be an Asian woman, Asian American woman in this world. I really appreciate you sharing all that and telling your story a little bit in that way, resonating super hard because I feel like I am on this similar path of having just recently reached acceptance. And mm -hmm. except, like you said, not being a bunch of different things, but accepting myself as that whole person. And I think that's huge. And I love that for you. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of, talk a little bit and walk a little bit through that journey. Um, you talked about like getting away from the shame and like, and moving and moving beyond that. And I was wondering kind of when you first became aware or noticed that mm -hmm. I, I saw in your guest form that you wrote that you grew up in a very black and white city. So mm -hmm. I was wondering kind of where that was and kind of to place you on the timeline in that way and kind yeah. of how you first encountered that, uh, that shame or that self-loathing or whatever that might be. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it really, I feel like it started when I was very, very young um, and not because of anything my parents said about like, you know, the adoption story our parents tell us, you know, we loved you so much or your parents, you know, love you so much they couldn't take care of you, um, which actually my, my parents always said, um, you know, like they had trouble conceiving and that they decided to adopt. And I think it was already a pathway available to them because my dad was in the military. So it was pretty common. He was stationed in Japan um, and went directly through a Korean agency. So not like a U.S. agency. So I just think it, it was a, a process that was available. Um, but they always explained that, you know, the agency sent them a picture and they were like, well, if, you, but if you don't like this one, uh, we can send you another picture. <laughs> and my parents were always like, as, you know, as soon as we, we saw your picture, we knew you were our daughter, right? That type of thing, which is really beautiful if you don't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't How many times did you past? swipe left yeah, before yeah. you saw yeah, my I picture? I know, right? <laughs> You're like, swipe left? What are you talking about? It's the <laughs> What? Oddly, that's a whole other topic we could talk about. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. That app that they started to make somebody. Oh. Um, but, you know, so so that was like the story. But I think we get so much messaging from society, from the movies we watch, um, even from, you know, our friends as we're children about what it means to be adopted, about what it means to not be with your biological family. So, again, that idea that you're unlovable, that you're unwanted, that something is wrong with you, because why wouldn't your mother, it's always the mother, right? Why wouldn't your mother want you? It has to be with you and all these ideas of like, um, you know, mother's eternal love. And so if you're not with your biological mother, then again, like all this messaging. And so I think that was part of where that shame came into play. 
Um, and you mentioned this word of self-loathing. And I think it really was like, I, I know that as a young child, I had a lot of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of hatred towards women because I felt like, you know, these, again, these stories are, are circulating that will you know, women who give their children up for adoption, you know, there's something wrong with them, right? They must be promiscuous or they must not be taken care of, you know, themselves, their family, et cetera. And then um, when I was 10 years old, my mom who raised me passed away. And so then I just really felt like all these mothers in my life keep leaving me, Mm -hmm. right? And feeling very abandoned, but also, you know, you're a child, so you're trying to make sense of things in your little child brain. And again, it's like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Mm. And I think that's really where those feelings first started, even before we kind of get to the the race aspect and feeling very, you know, out of place. That there must be something wrong with me feeling is like, that's a real thing. You said it out loud and I'm just like, oh man, I feel that every time like I hear that and think about that. It's just like, it brings me back to that childhood moment of being like, Man, what what's the problem? Why is this bad thing happening? And what what did I do to cause this? Mm-hmm. Um, and like really placing that burden and that blame on myself. Um, when did you start to? When did you recognize that you were kind of asking yourself that question? Like I know you said very young, like mm-hmm. seeing those things. But then like when you re- or maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe like when did you realize that that was the wrong thing to be saying to yourself? I guess. And was that, and like you said, that was maybe like you were feeling a little, or some of those feelings, like even pre-racialization, did that Mm -hmm. come along on that particular journey as well? Yeah. So that's a great question. So um, my dad actually put me in therapy after my mom passed. And I remember one of the assessments that the therapist gave me was, it's kind of like a word association. So just write down your first thought or feeling um, with these different, you know, words. And I noticed that for all of the, the words around like women or mothers, all of my like first responses were extremely negative. And so that's what first even brought it to my own awareness. Like, Mm. okay, like this is how you're kind of making sense of these things and internalizing. And it is a very weird place to be in to have some hatred or very, very negative feelings towards women when you are a woman, right? Well, I was a girl at that time, but, you know, still same thing, right? Um, And so that piece of it. I think really stayed with me really for a while, even though I was aware of it. It's also like, how do I work through this on my own? Um, And so while it was a a seed that was planted, I don't think I was really able to come to terms with like, what does it mean to to be a woman, Um, particularly as an Asian American woman and the objectification and um, fetishization that comes along with that. And so still not being able to kind of like process and make sense of like who I am in my own body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that therapist was, I mean, they were mainly there to discuss um, the passing of your mother and just Mm -hmm. to to be there for you. Um, Do you think that there was any, I mean, I guess, benefit if they were more in like the adoption um category of of therapy as well do you think that would have helped you know more than like a, just a normal therapist because i now that i know that those even exist i didn't know that back in the day until you know probably in the last two three years that i've known that that, that is a specialty yeah i mean i think so but also i will just like caveat this and say like i went to that therapist for maybe a couple sessions 
And then, you know, even as a child, I was like extremely precocious. So I was like, um, I need a new therapist because this one is not good enough. <laughs> and so I got Show me another, another picture. Right, exactly. Let me swipe. Um, and so I got a new therapist. And the first thing that therapist said to me was, you know, if you keep switching therapists, then maybe it's you and not them. Oh, Ma'am, first damn. of all, I am a child. What? Yeah, no kidding. Secondly, also, it's my first time switching. Like, right, on, exactly. Like, and it's perfectly normal to switch. It is perfectly yeah. normal to try out a few different therapists, find who kind of clicks with you, who resonates with you, you know, who you feel a good rapport with and a good safety with. And so, unsurprisingly, after that encounter, I was like, I'm done. You know, like, because yeah. again, who wants someone to tell you it's you, right? <laughs> right. Oh my goodness, I'm already dealing with these. It's me feelings. And now a person in a place of authority, right, right. is telling me that is something wrong with me. And so I was like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm about to switch again. Yeah. No, what I you got to say about that? Great advice to to have to find a therapist that fits you, I think, mm-hmm. and not feel obligated to stay with just the first one or even just the most convenient one in your area or something. So so what's the pivot then for, for you coming out of that? So like you're carrying obviously a lot of loss, a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. You've worked with somebody who was not helpful. And so then you worked with another person who was also probably not helpful. And you're like, okay, I'm going to move on from this. And so you kind of got to go and live Move on your from life. this into yeah. middle school? <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying though. Like you yeah, talked about like, like, into like the most awkward time of my life. You're carrying, like, you're carrying a lot of this pain and emotion. And it's like, you have to carry it because you can't articulate it. You know, like we've all, we talk about it on the show all the time. It's like, I didn't have the language to articulate any of this. Yeah. And I wasn't going through a, a second loss, a second mm-hmm. mother, a loss of a mother. And it's like, obviously that's a lot. So like, I feel like in the middle school era, like in those school age eras, like you're kind of suppressing that. I don't want to yeah. assume, but like, is it yeah. just a compartmentalization and like, here's how I survive and move forward with my life? Absolutely. I think, it was, I think, you know, first couple decades of my life was all about suppression. Um, You know, I absolutely that. So my mom passed and then it was like, I'm going into middle school and it was a a different school from like my elementary school, a much bigger school. Um, So you're also just going through all the adolescent changes in general, trying to find yourself, your friend group. And I was um, not processing my emotions at all. I don't even want to say I wasn't processing them well. I wasn't processing them at all. I had in my mind that like if you cried, it was a sign of weakness. I didn't cry about my mom passing until I was in my 20s. Um, And so, yeah, so when you think about like repression, suppression, um, all of just like that toxic energy, right, suppressed energy just in me for like a decade. And I go into middle school. I'm like getting in trouble all the time. Like the vice principal has my dad's number on speed dial. He is there all the time. Um, And it was just not good because I didn't have a way to express how I was feeling, like the pain that I was feeling, the confusion the loneliness and then just the regular adolescent feelings of you know what is life (laughs) and so it was just not a good time um you know and I I think like that could have been a turning point to where particularly if I would have stayed in that school for high school that I would have been labeled like the bad kid and we know what happens when folks are labeled the bad kid no matter what you do it's always going to be wrong you know teachers are Mm. always going to be looking at you 
It's always going to be your fault. And so luckily I went to a different high school and it was kind of like a fresh start for me um, where I could start to say, okay, like, what do I want to make of this opportunity in front of me? What do I want to do differently? Um, Because what I was doing in middle school, like that's definitely not working. (laughs) So talk me through, um, I'm curious, I'm, I'm reading through your your uh, form and, and hearing what you're saying and, and these things. And, and I think partially because I, I just read, reread Interior Chinatown. So it's like kind of top of mind for me. But one of the things you do talk about in your form that um, is really like that I'm particularly drawn to is growing up in the black and white binary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in your form, you say, you know, you grew up generally in like Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like having that like really stark, black and white like for me growing up in Dallas I had like Mexicans or generally like Latin Americans to kind of like throw another <laughs> shade of color into it but I think mm-hmm. like for for you her being just kind of very black and white and being like I know I'm not either of you and I don't see myself and you know all those kinds of things like what was that point one of the things that the other thing that struck me was like you talked about um feeling like you had moved through a lot of identities and become whole again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it sounds like you just had a sense of like a, a fractured personality that you were like, it was, it was like so broken and so disparate. You're like, I don't know. I'm just going to push it aside. And this is like, who, you know, what, who I was, whatever. But what was the, I guess, what was the navigation through middle school, through high school and then in, into college of, such a polarized kind of black and white thing being an Asian in that space and mm-hmm. adopted on top of that. Yeah. So I, so I wouldn't say I had a fractured personality. Not uh, like, you know, yeah, not like, but I'm, I mean like for me and we'll get into this later. This is another question, but like I have thought about myself in like very separate, mm-hmm. like, like I think, I think of myself as Asian. I think mm-hmm. of myself as like Asian American. I think of myself as, you know, whatever. And then like still moving through into like thinking of myself as like, well, this is just me. Mm-hmm. which is something like you had said, like I, I've gotten to this place now, but it yeah. wasn't always like that. But yeah. So, but specifically though, yeah, kind of the black, white, Asian binary and that not being like part of that binary. What was that like? Yeah. So I grew up in Memphis. So we moved there when I was, or moved here. I don't know why I said there. Moved here um, when I was about four years old, ready for school age. And so I've been here in Memphis for since then, um, with the exception of the time that I was in graduate school and was in the D.C. area for six years. And so it is, you know, it's kind of like when people ask you, like, well, how is it to be adopted? And you're like, "Um, well, I don't know. (laughs) Like, how is it to not be adopted? Like, the different versions of me have not met up on the timeline. So we we haven't been able to talk and explain, like, what it's what it's like. Um, And it's kind of the same way. Right. Like, what is it like to grow up in a city that no one looks like you? Um, And it's hard to explain. Right. That you have nothing to root yourself into a shared experience. And so it's kind of one of those things that I also feel similarly about adoption, where it's like you just learn to not ask because there is no answer to your question. Mm. Right. You just learn that this is, this is your life and there, you know, there are no other realities or possibilities for you. Um, And that's how it felt because there, you know, I could probably count maybe, maybe on two hands, if I'm being generous, that the number of Asian Americans I encountered throughout my entire childhood. Um, and I could probably tell you all of the Asian American students that were in my K through 12 
experience, right? Like I could tell you their names um, because that's how few of us there were. So it's hard to have a group identity by yourself. Um, it's hard when you're to, the only, you're the right, only, when you're the the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so like, maybe this is my identity. I don't know. Um, and so it was, you know, it, because of course, you know, that you're not white, like as much as your family might say, Oh, you have so-and-so's eyes, skin, cheeks, smile, whatever. You're like, no, <laughs> like I get it. I get what you're trying to do, but also no. Like, I'm pretty um, and, sure that's not how it works. Right. And it's like, <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're not white and you know, you're not black. So it's like, if those are the only two options, then so I just don't exist. And that's kind of how it felt. Um, I will say that for my high school, when I when I went to high school, I went to my neighborhood school, which was a predominantly black high school. And I think predominantly black does not really explain the racial demographics of the school. It was a black high school. Um, and I could probably tell you the non-black students that were in my <laughs> high school. Um, and I actually found a lot of acceptance and comfort with my black peers because of the understanding that like we are not white. You know, we are mm. all here in this same school, in the same neighborhood, under these same conditions, right? And so I did, I think as far as like kind of entering into an awakening around racism, that was it for me because I had come from my middle school, which was just a few miles down the street, to my high school and completely different resources, completely different experience. And the only thing that was different was the student body population. So mm -hmm. it becomes very clear that this is about race, right? And so that was kind of my first you know, real life introduction into really feeling what racism is like. Yeah. Well, and so like, I think the, for me, the point of like having like generally Mexican students, maybe some Asians, but you know, same as you, like I could count them on five, five fingers, you know, there's like, you could. You're going to say five hands. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, five fingers. Uh, you like, I had the benefit of knowing that there was like a shade, like that, like color and race was like kind of on a gradient, not just like black and white. Whereas like, if you feel it very like, uh, binary, binarily. Um, it, I think it's harder to like to find yourself and and emerge for that. When at least for me, you know, I was always like, "What does it mean to be Asian? What does it mean to be a you know whatever? Like, how do I, how do I fit in? Where's my place? All the all those kinds of things. And uh, and yeah, so like your questioning led you into further study and into further research. But when like where were you looking to in those early days to? understand like what it meant to be an Asian American or an Asian woman. And then how has that changed over time? Yeah, I wasn't looking anywhere. Where is there to look? Um, so, you know, I, and, and honestly, because first of all, like what was Asian? What does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Like I know what adopted means, um, but what does Asian mean as a thing that you could go to the library? Cause again, um, 40, um, that you could go to the library and like find a book about, right? Like yeah. versus like, I know what adopted means and I can at least go to the library and say, hey, is there anything about adoption? Mm -hmm. um, so there wasn't really any, like I, I didn't know. I knew, you know, like the stereotypes that we saw on television. Um, I knew that, but 
I didn't know. And because there weren't, there wasn't a large Asian American community that was visible to me, um, it, again, it's like you just learn to not ask the question. So when did you start to ask the question? Because I think like you, like I was, I grew up in a town that had no Asian population. Like I, there, it was invisible to me, mm-hmm. but I like so internalized it even when I went to college when there was quite a few Asian and Asian American people around me that was still and they were still invisible to me. Like and even if they were visible to me, I actively recoiled from Mm -hmm. that community. So and then I would and then I would not go on to ask the question until I was 30. So (laughs) (laughs) when did when when, and and in your form, you know, you talk about you've been on your journey for a while. So when did that when did you decide, oh, I have to I'm going to ask this question or when did that question first pop into your head? Yeah, so I went to undergrad at the University of Memphis, so stayed here. Um, and at that time, you know, again, like we didn't have like a large international student population. We didn't have a large Asian American student population. Um, you know, so it was kind of like the same, kind of like just more of the same. Um, but I remember going to um, this, you know, special lecture and the woman was saying how, it was a black woman who was speaking and she was saying how it's just so important for you to know your roots. And it just at that time, in that moment in my life, when she said that, it just clicked for me like, yes, I, I need to know my roots. And the very next day I'm walking through my dorm and there's this big study abroad poster that says like, discover Asia or imagine Asia. <laughs> and so I went to the study abroad office Incredible. and I was like, I want to go to Korea. And the study abroad, you know, officer was like, all right, here's the program and you're going next semester. And I was like, all right, let's go. Um, and so that was my first time back to Korea. So wow. I was in undergrad, I think I was a sophomore. Um, um, and went there for a spring semester abroad in Suwon at Aju University. And I I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to have any expectations. I'm not going to prepare for it. I'm just going to show up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, oh, did we need more than one pair of clothes? <laughs> right. I'm just going to show up. And, you I know, it's so, fork. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, Throughout my life, people had very little to say about Korea or to introduce me to Korean culture. But as soon as I said I'm going abroad for a semester, all of a sudden, everybody's an expert on Korea and things I should be careful and things I should know. And Korea is like this. And I'm like, wow. And where were you 10 years ago? Right. Like like, y'all have been in my life for my entire life and there was nothing. And now all of a sudden you're experts on Korea. But I just really blocked out everything. I didn't allow myself to daydream about it. I didn't allow myself to, you know, like create little stories and fantasies in your brain because I just wanted to go and experience it, like just experience Mm. it fresh without any expectations. And so that's what I did. How how was that for the, was there a language um, like requirement? (laughs) No. (laughs) They're just like, go, go for it. Zero. Come (laughs) I mean, were the classes in English or Korean? So, yes. Yeah, so I took classes in English. So okay. I took like an English literature class, was kind of, which was kind of like a high school English, you know, class. And then I took a Korean language class, of course. And I think I took one other course, but I can't remember what it was. I just remember the literature because I remember distinctly reading Canterbury Tales. And so I was like, this is very, you know, like high school kind of level English yeah. literature. Um, but yeah, no language requirement. Just there. So, then, oh, go ahead. Sorry, follow up on that. Then while you were there uh, studying English or studying Korean and in, you know, 
amongst other maybe you know international students, mm-hmm. did you meet any other uh, Korean adoptees? I did not meet any other Korean adoptees. Um, there were a couple did other you meet Korean any Americans. Other Koreans? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, no Koreans. <laughs> so, took them all out of the university. That's actually a good lead in to what my question was going to be. And so, since you didn't meet any other Korean adoptees, was that even on your radar? No. Okay, because you talked about finding your roots, and it's like, okay, go to Korea. These these are my roots. But yeah. when does that journey start to intersect with the adoptee community? Yeah, so, you know, I, I met a Korean adoptee um, and from Memphis. We were both in this program together, um, and he was telling me how when he was growing up, he went to Korean culture camps and all this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Come on, roll like, that back one more time. You did so what? You just said words that I did. Wait, where? Where do you, you said you lived in Memphis? Right, like where and I, I was lived? like... <laughs> You think I could have learned things? Right. I'm like, there's more of us. Um, And I was like, oh, my goodness. But, you know, like I mentioned, like my parents adopted me like straight from Korea, like straight, you know, them to orphanage without any intermediary. So there was no like support system. You know, like when when we were in Japan where my dad was stationed, there were other adoptive families there on the military base. And so there was that while we were there. But when we moved you know, there there wasn't anything. And so I wasn't connected to any, you know, adoption-related services or adoptee group. So it wouldn't be until college when I met another adoptee. And even still, it was just like, oh, I met another adoptee uh, or another Korean adoptee, I should say. Right. And it wasn't like, oh, there is some sort of organized community of Korean adoptees out there. Um, and that wouldn't, you know, really cross my radar until later. Okay. Um, so as we approach that later period when it's like, okay, now adoption or adoptee experience is on my radar, um, what were you doing? Like, how did that first trip to Korea, how did that study abroad trip propel you into whatever it is that you're doing? Because you do a lot of work, like a lot of scholarship work. And mm-hmm. like, um, so how did did that trip? fuel any like desire or direction for you scholastically or what you wanted to do career-wise no it was more like let's go be in korea (laughs) was that a good trip and then you came back you're like all right i got that out of my system and here we go um you know like i wanted to stay longer but because i went in the spring it was harder like if i would have went in the fall then i probably would have been able to stay for the spring semester Mm. but because i went the spring Uh, like there weren't really any programs in the summer that i could attend um, so unfortunately, I was just there for the spring semester. Um, but, you know, I I have talked about like going to Korea for that first time or going back for that first time and, you know, realizing that I had been holding my breath my whole life mm-hmm. and, you know, just being able to exhale. And what I mean is like being able to exhale that no one is looking at me, right? Like I'm not on display, um, I'm completely invisible in the best way possible. Right. Um, I don't have to be prepared that someone is going to ask me, you know, so where are you from? No, where are you really from? Where are your parents from? I'm going to keep asking you until you tell me somewhere that's not America. Like, I, you know, <laughs> not having to be, you know, prepared for people staring at me or sexualizing me, right? So just exhaling that, like, I can just be in this world without having to perform for people, without having to be, you know, objectified, 
And I don't know, it was just something about seeing like a Korean bus driver, a Korean person on the street picking up trash, like these small things that, that, you know, really make a difference in seeing ourselves in the world. So back KJ to your question about like living in that black, white binary, you know, and that, you know, People who have the privilege of seeing people who look like them every day, all day, will probably never understand what it's like to go years of your life without seeing someone who looks like you and what that does to you. Again, I felt like, oh, I can breathe. I didn't even know that I had been holding my breath. Mm-hmm. For the listener at home, I'm straight up bobbleheading right now <laughs> because that's exactly the same feeling I had when I went to Korea. Like literally, almost. I talked about it as being... You said, well, you said you used the word perform. Like you mm-hmm. didn't have to, you realize, oh, I'm not performing. And that was like, that was me. And, but instead of holding my breath, my metaphor was like, I took the mask off. Like I'd yeah. for all of my life just been wearing this mask. Even after going on this journey, like I still had the mask on in certain respects. When you go out and operate in public, you know, I live in Indianapolis, which is still a predominantly white city, a predominantly mm-hmm. white state. So when I go out there, it's like, and having grown up around whiteness, like you put the you put the mask on, essentially, you know mm-hmm. how to interact with this community of people, um, and you do so because generally that's how you're supposed to how you're supposed to act in public. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like the feeling that the, the validation. I feel like I've been big on the word validation lately for some reason, but just the validation of being in not having to perform to mm-hmm. not have to put the mask on to be able to freaking breathe and exhale and just be like, Oh, this is what that's like. (laughs) It's like an actual silence. Like I've been also battling tinnitus lately and my ears just (laughs) constant ringing in my ears. And like it was in Korea, it was just like, I felt like all of that went away. Like all my Mm -hmm. maladies I felt or whatever the case might be, but specifically that. And it's like, well, I like getting up so early in the morning because that silence, like you don't get that very often. And I feel like that feeling was something I never felt before. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that was just like so, took me right back there. And I just really, yeah. Korea healed your tendonitis, you're saying? <laughs> my, not my tendonitis, my tinnitus. <laughs> the, the, the ringing in my, the constant ringing in my, my tendonitis. Oh, yeah, his, his elbow is still gone. <laughs> yeah. Still he doesn't have an elbow, elbow, elbow anymore. <laughs> he does still have a forearm, which is odd. Well, he, plays ba- well, he was playing basketball, but he yeah. doesn't want really. Oh, I still play basketball. always kept getting it hurt. <clears throat> yeah. Whoa, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's really lovely. I think that's... I think that's why, like... I don't know. When I'm around adoptees, I get kind of the same thing. Like, I don't have to perform. I don't have to, you know, whatever... Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, like that idea of like, I was holding my breath and I didn't even know it was like, oh, that's what, what code switching is that like, that there's a level of like, well, this is who you naturally are. And when you're in this space, you don't have to put on any, any mask. You don't have to like, hold your, you know, be a certain way. You can just be who you are. And then all you have to worry about is just like people judging you for like normal things, not like the extra things that we get, you know, <laughs> like whatever that is. And so, yeah, I just, oh man, I, I super get that. I, I feel that. So I want to circle back to uh, something else that you said. Um, you had said early that you were, one of the things that you were like working on and working through and feel like you've gotten to is like your sense of womanhood and Asian mm-hmm. womanhood and those things. What was that journey like? Like, I, I know that you said that your mom passed away and you didn't cry until like 10 years later, 10 plus years later, you know, but what's that journey been like since then mm-hmm. um, kind of exploring that avenue of yourself? Uh, um, you know, it's really uh, a great feeling to 
be present in your body and to know that your body is for you and to know that you can move in this world and feel like you can take up space, um, but also that your body is for your pleasure too as well and not like something for someone else to um, experience and get some sort of like derive some, not just pleasure, but ownership over and control over. Um, and so, you know, getting to that feeling and that acknowledgement, um, you know, it's hard for me to really put a timeline yeah. on it, but I guess if I had to say it partly, or maybe a really big part has to do with, um, five years ago when I moved back to Memphis um, I had seen all these women that I knew who were turning 40, um, and they looked amazing. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, when I turn 40, I want to look that good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I got a five-year plan for like looking good when oh, I turn 40, yeah. like okay. being in the best shape of my life. And so, um, I found a trainer and started weightlifting and, you know, when you're lifting weights, you have to be in tune with your body. Like mm -hmm. you have to feel your body movement. You have to breathe in a certain way. You have to fill up your lungs in a certain way, right? You have to breathe in a certain way. And honestly, I would say that that is probably the start of that, um, of even just having someone say, okay, take a deep breath. Okay. You feel where you're inhaling air. Okay. I don't want you to inhale your air there. I want you to inhale your air, like in your, in your belly. Right. And like being in tune with like, wait a minute, what? There's different ways to breathe. Hold on. <laughs> Where's the air going? <laughs> the Help me. <laughs> But like being that in tune of, with your breathing, with your body, and then feeling that that feeling of like, oh my gosh, did I just squat like 150 pounds, like 200 pounds? Like I just did, like my body just did that yeah. and feeling like in control of your body. And I think that is probably where that started of being able to like reclaim my body for myself and not as an object um, not as being sexualized, not as someone, you know, wanting my body for them, right? And so that process of realizing, like, I have ownership over my body and I can take up space and I can also do, like, really strong things with my body mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, you... I love your uh, posts on Instagram about your workouts and, and just your podcast, too, that you, you talk about... Um, kind of I guess mind over matter in a way mm -hmm. at times where you know you can do something but yet you kind of psych yourself out sometimes and you tell yourself that you can't do it um is that also kind of why you do I mean why do you do the podcast I guess number one and why <laughs> why are you so motivational too is <laughs> is that I know it's for yourself but you're probably doing it for others too because you know I think that's great is it <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you being non-assuming Nathan yeah. but the way that <laughs> comes across is just like <laughs> Why? Wait. Why, why do you why do that? Do anyway? you do the podcast? <laughs> questions we what ask ourselves motive? about our my, show all, every day. My questions <laughs> are not as as delicate, I guess. In, no, in I the love way it. That I That's a great it. question. You know? I love it. So the podcast is Purpose Over Vanity, and I started the podcast. That was my pandemic project. So everybody else, you know, was like uh, baking yes. bread and like doing push up challenges and like taking shots, and I was like, I'm gonna start a podcast, and it was purely selfish. It was purely in order to survive because 
so much in the world was like, what is going on? It was, everything was disrupted. I'm a person who I love the schedule. I love a Google Cal invite. I love, you know, to write all the things down. Like, yes. And so in the pandemic, in, you know, like phase one of the pandemic, when everything was like just completely just, we don't know what's going on. I was like, no, I need to know what's going on. Like something has to be knowable in my world in order for me to feel some sense of like, stability, safety, security, a future, like a hope for a future. And so I started the podcast really as like self-accountability of, you know, sharing different goal-getting strategies, mindset reframes, personal development tips. And it was really just me talking to me and other people got to hear it because I recorded it. But that was, that was the impetus because I was like, this proves to me that I believe there is a future to work towards. And I I told myself when I started, I was like, six months, just do six months, six months, and that's it. And you don't have to do it anymore. Um, And so now we're like two plus years in and I'm still, you know, on the podcast. But that was the original reason, simply so that I could have a reason to wake up in the morning and continue to exist and continue to work on projects, even though it seemed like, is there even like a future? Like, and what does any of this matter? Is any of this even going to like fit into the future that we might be creating? COVID wasn't in my five year plan. (laughs) Exactly. I did not have that in the calendar. (laughs) I love that. I love that you did it for you and that you, you know, because that's something that we talked about when we started our podcast is that we, we wanted to do it for us as well. We wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to go on our journeys, uh, you know, with ourselves and with other people listening, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, so that, that's great that that's, you know, that was your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that like how you've talked about coming into yourself as a woman and even even like the podcast and things because like I think for me like and I, I hear it echoed a lot in a lot of um like Korean adoptees, uh, a lot of people on our show or even, you know, the three of us. One of those things that I feel it's like in my my own journey is I've had to like really come to grips with in the same way that like I've come to grips with like what it means to be adopted and what it means to be Asian American, all that stuff, what it means to be like disabled specifically for me in the way that I am disabled, like that I just have these limitations and like, I'm coming to a place now where I'm like, I'm okay with it, but I've not like fully come around to the place of like feeling myself and like feeling my body and like doing those things where I like, I can look in the mirror and just be like, you know what today I'm feeling myself. Maybe part of that's because I work from home, so I'm not like dressing up in a way to like, you know, like impress or anything. But, but I love that so much of like where you are now and some of the the more recent things you've been doing is like, you know what? I've got a goal in mind. I've got a thing, and I'm actually being able to put into practice maybe some things that I've learned or things mm-hmm. that I've worked through in order to like just to be that. And first and foremost, I'm showing up for me. And secondly, like other people get to benefit from the light that I have inside of me to give out to the people. So. Thanks for doing what you do. I think that that's really wonderful. Um, so my kind of my other question um, that I've had since you started talking is, are there um, particular m- moments or memories where you're like, oh man, this wall that I had up about X identity or Y identity, whatever, that's the moment when it knocked down. And like, is there a moment when like, when you felt like, you had like moved through an identity and identity into acceptance and then moved through all of those things into like becoming who you are now. Yeah. Um, it was really when I reclaimed my birth name. 
Mm. So in 2018, I reclaimed my name and, you know, it's, it's kind of unbelievable, unbelievable, but with that decision, it's like, I just let go of all of the, the limitations and, and boxes that other people had put around me that I had accepted and had been living within. And I said, you know, like, this is me reclaiming who I am, who I've always been. And it's like all those disparate identities, um, whether it's like daughter or white family member or, you know, like whatever it is, they all just merged into one because mm. it was just a moment where I was like, I don't want to live all these, I guess, like separate lives. Um, I don't want to, hide, and it's not even, I don't want to live these separate lives. It's more like, I don't want to hide parts of who I am from people. Right. Exactly. Um, which was more what it was. Like, I felt like I was always hiding in order to make other people comfortable. And I just decided, like, I don't care if you're comfortable. Like, oh, well, you're, you're going to oh, learn yeah. to get uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I don't care. And, you know, because for a lot of the majority of my life, it's like I had hidden parts of myself from people who, you know, I love and who say they love me. And so what I mean is like, for example, you know, like um, I, when I went to college when I was an undergrad, like I pledged a historically black sorority, but that was something that I didn't really bring up to my white family, right? Mm. Like my research as a graduate student and now as a professor is all about race and racism, but that's also something that I didn't really say to my white family, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, we don't have hiding. to get into this with Thanksgiving. That's, uh, <laughs> just, just eat the turkey. It's fine. Exactly. So just <laughs> School like, is fine. Go hiding away. parts of myself and my interests and things that really, you know, were meaningful to me. And in the same way with some of my friends, like not really, um, talking about adoption and not really talking about like the adoptee, um, side of me. And particularly as I got more involved with, uh, um, adoptee groups, um, not really talking about that. So still keeping everything so like separate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I reclaimed my name. I reclaimed all of who I've ever been and all of who I will be. And I said, you know what? It's me. And for the people who love me, they will come alongside me. And the people who it's not to say they don't love me, but maybe it's a little uncomfortable for them. They will either they'll they'll learn or they won't. And that's fine. Um, and so I had just come into this understanding that I wanted to be all of me all the time. And so claim, reclaiming my name was like that point of saying like, I'm going to be all of me all the time. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not ashamed of any parts of who I am. And so I can be who I am all the time with everybody. Yeah. I freaking love that. Yeah. yeah That's awesome. amazing. Um, definitely resonant in the way that, you know, I feel like I hit that point in May of last year. Um, and part of that was like reclaiming or just even using like my full name, essentially, I guess what I've been given as an adoptee, because I have two middle names, like I'm mm -hmm. sure many adoptees probably ended up with. Uh, the first, uh, my name is Patrick Samuel Young Armstrong, Young coming from the Korean name that I was given, whether that was my birth name or the given name that I was, I had at the foster home, whatever. Um, but even just like that, like I used to be super embarrassed of mm. the young part of my name and like putting that like even just in my Instagram, like it, just putting that in part of my Instagram <laughs> name was big because mm -hmm. like you said, you know, I wasn't sharing that with my family. Even when I started all this stuff, like I wasn't, I was still hiding and maybe like you said, maybe hiding is not the right word, but I was, I was holding my breath in certain areas 
when I am putting the mask on um, still instead of leaning fully in. And so I think not only with the reclamation of your name, but kind of everything that you've shared with us today um, has reminded me of something that you wrote in uh, your guest form, which was one of the questions is what's the part of your story you're most passionate about? And you talked to, and what you wrote was welcoming vulnerability and intimacy. Mm. And I think a lot of what you shared today, even though we haven't used those two specific words resonate with that. Like when you were talking specifically about uh, the weightlifting and like your journey through that and like the feelings Mm. you were feeling, I was like, Oh, you have to be one vulnerable to get in touch with yourself and your body in that way. And two, Mm. that's a really intimate act. Reclaiming your birth name is super intimate. You have to get to a really vulnerable place to do that and then feel good about doing something like that. Feel and be able to lean into that and accept yourself as whole, as this one person who's made up of all of these different identities that intersect in all of these different ways. And so um, I have a 100,000 more questions, (laughs) but this is not going to be my last question in the interest of your time. Okay. What advice would you, so I think one of the things that I love about our show is that I think it's because we started at a place of like entering into the community and figuring Mm -hmm. out what it means to be an adoptee, what it means to hear stories every, every week that are resonant or similar to your own. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think that's, that's what I love about the show. It's a good in for a lot of adoptees, whether you're Mm -hmm. old, whether you're young, whether wherever you're at in the journey, I think it's a good place and a good way in. And so my question is like, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe just starting out into this journey, who's searching for that vulnerability and that intimacy? Um, mm. What I mean, what kind of wisdom or advice would you share <laughs> with that person? Super. That's yeah. a super big question. Super out there. You know, I, I'm just wondering, kind of what what would you impart? Yeah, you know, as you were talking, Patrick, I was thinking because um, you said the word acceptance, and it, it made me, you know, really think about the fact that, like you know, I had spent so much time wondering if like other people were accepting me that I hadn't considered if I was accepting me or not. Yeah. And I think that has made all the difference. Um, Just like I'd spent so much time trying to avoid being abandoned by other people that I hadn't considered the ways that I was abandoning myself, right? Mm -hmm. By, By not having a voice, by not having, you know, being vulnerable, by not creating intimacy. And You know, I think for folks who might be just starting out on that journey, you know, vulnerability really is the key to life. And this comes from a person who has actively avoided emotions and intimacy (laughs) and relationships and commitment for the vast majority of my life. But I just came to this realization, you know, a few years ago that I was like, everything that I want, everything that we all deserve, you know, these big relationships, this big life, a full life is accessed only through vulnerability. And that really starts not as an act between us and someone else, but as an act within ourselves. And so having, you know, the courage to sit with our own feelings, to not know what they are and be okay with, I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling something and I'm Mm. not going to shut it down. I'm not going to run away from it, I think is really the, the first key. And to knowing that however you feel is okay. Like no one gets to tell you how to feel about being adopted about your adoption journey. No one gets to tell you how to feel or what you should do. Like you get to decide for yourself. 
And maybe, you know, how you feel today is going to be different than how you feel a couple years from now. And that's okay too, but to not run away from those feelings um, and to not suppress them. Because one thing I know is that suppressed feelings, they do come out. (laughs) 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 And they're much better when you just let them flow versus them, you know, erupting and disrupting your life at a very (laughs) inopportune time. Oh my God, that's amazing advice. Mm-hmm. Some of the best, some of the best stuff that I think we've had shared on the show <laughs> for our, for our listeners. Um, well, and I think it's so lovely too because we have on display like multiple levels of vulnerability. I think in in the people present in the recording. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. Sana, you've reclaimed your Korean name, and mm-hmm. uh, like that is an incredible, like incredible vulnerability. Um, I mean, like one of the reasons that I've personally have like thought about doing it and then not done that has been like yeah but then i have to get in like well wait how do you say your name and i have to deal with people you know like whatever and then like but the, like that it puts you into like this state of like i want to you know i want to live like this I, I would love to hear people call me junte or whatever but also i'm like no, that's not, whatever you know like all those kinds of things and yet you chose to do it which i think is is it is a really vulnerable decision and a, and a choice to make and, and i think it's absolutely lovely patrick you've talked about being, being like yeah it's that in my middle my full middle name into instagram which is i think in and of itself it's its own thing like vulnerability mm-hmm. takes practice yeah you yes. know and i think that like the op- like being able to just as a as a listener of the show currently being recorded like to experience like two forms of vulnerability to be like i was vulnerable in just putting my full given legal name you know on instagram or mm-hmm. uh for me it was like putting my korean name on you know on the internet or you know for nathan switching from his uh photo <laughs> profile <laughs> on instagram to just his personal profile on instagram yes. and find it. like just oh, like yeah. little steps of <laughs> no yeah just little steps and little journeys yeah. and those things he but was it, like what it, it can <laughs> really pay that. dividends down the road like if you give your vulnerability mm-hmm. to someone they will yeah. often i mean if they're like a decent person they will often give vulnerability back you know and yeah. and in that way would make the world a better place um yeah. so yeah I, I love what you said about like vulnerability is a practice Because it absolutely is. You know, I just made this declaration over my life in 2019. Vulnerability is my superpower. It was Mm. the biggest lie ever. Like, it was not my superpower, but that was what I wanted it to become. Mm. Five-year plan. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And now I'm like, look at me. Um, (laughs) No, recently someone told me that they thought I was a very, like, feelings-forward person. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh my gosh, like no one in my life has ever, would have ever said that about me. So I'm like, it's working. Um, was that like a made it moment where yeah, you're like, it really was. I was like, yeah. oh my, oh my gosh, like this is the best compliment of my life. Like, you know, and it's so funny because like people get to meet us at different points in our journey mm-hmm. and, and they, they don't have any idea of who we used to be and they get to just experience us as this person that we are now. And I think that's really beautiful. I'll just say like, you know, make that declaration over your life. Like vulnerability is my superpower and you will find so many opportunities to be vulnerable and vulnerability can be a very small act. It can be asking for help, right? It can be accepting help. Mm. Um, You know, it can Mm. be very small. It doesn't have to be you, you know, like crying on the internet, uh, as I like to say, like pouring all your feelings out, (laughs) but it can be something small, like accepting help, asking for help, Um, you know, telling somebody, you know, it really hurt my feelings when, you know, blah, 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 right? It can be those small things and those moments where you're like, should I do 
this? Should I do this? And you're starting to get nervous. Those are those moments of vulnerability where you get the opportunity to be like, yes, I'm going to show up as the self that I want to be and do that. And, and I'll just say, you know, one thing about the name change, you know, it was so beautiful because as soon as I mentioned that I was thinking about changing my name, all of my friends immediately like changed my name in their phone, started calling me oh um, by my Korean name. And so, you know, like let people show up for you, like let mm-hmm. people show you that they love you, they care about you, they respect you because they do. And, you know, it is funny because, um, you know, like my name has many pronunciations. <laughs> so like a lot of people call me Sana. Um, which is like all my like non-adoptee friends call me Sana. Um, and that's how I introduce myself to them. So it's not like they're mis- mispronouncing uh. it. And, you know, like the adoptees call me Sana. And, you know, none of those are the actual pronunciation of my name. <laughs> <laughs> is it Suna? Uh, it's actually Sana. Sana? Sana? Yeah. Sana. Sana. Mm-hmm. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Adopted community exclusively. But you you know, it's just funny, like, to hear a Korean person say it in Korean is just so different and special. Mm. Mm, And so I was recently having the conversation with my friend that I was like, it's actually not Sana and it's actually not even Sana. And they were like, why haven't you told anybody? And I was like, you know, there's just something special about a Korean, hearing a Korean person say it. You know, and so I think we do get to keep things. We do get to be vulnerable and we do get to do things for us. And then we also get to keep certain things sacred just for us, too. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, when I communicate with my biological family back in Korea, I changed my name on the little app that I used to my Korean name. And I just feel so much better that they can call me that than than feeling forced when they call me Nathan instead mm. and i mm. i just thought that was so much more authentic that uh, they call me by the name that uh, you know that our parents gave gave me so so i i understand how you feel you know just different when somebody calls you a, you know an actual korean person calls you by the actual pronunciation so yeah mm-hmm. that clip. well we're actual koreans you too all koreans are too. actual korean people See, that was a little imposter syndrome there Hey, it's all good. Imposter syndrome. We all be battling it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. This I, is, we, we, this was, yeah, we'll, this, we'd have I a mean, triple interview if we. Yeah, if we, we already talked about. We need. We need you back. And uh, yeah, I mean, this yeah. Because we haven't even talked about your, your book or the stuff yeah. that you've been yeah. working on. We or the literally just talking about you. Con. And, oh my god, you know, that's can how we, I can met you, you. Can you plug your so. book though? Because yeah, I don't. Yeah. I just saw that. I was like, wait, I want to. Yeah, talk. Talk yeah. About that um, so I have a book. It won't be out until this winter. So it'll be a minute. But the book title is Out of Place, The Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants. And it is a book about Korean adoptees, about belonging, about race, family and citizenship and also, and how adoptees are, you know, out of place in, in some of these big categories of belonging, but also how adoptees um, create community amongst themselves and create their own space love it yeah i can't wait to read it thank It'll be great. you very very also excited. do you center so just by, by the title do you center like the idea of korean adoptees as assuming they're transnational like as immigrants yes yes that's cool that's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently i'm sure other people have thought about it obviously you have thought about it but i'm just like man, i want to i want to read something from that point of view because i don't know that that's like and maybe it's just because you know we haven't 
had ways to amplify our own voices, but I'm like, that's gotta be like out there. And that's a perspective that I, I really need to hear. So I really, yeah, I can't wait to hear uh, and to be able to read that. Cause um, Thank you. yeah, I'm just, I, I think that's a, that's a really great well, take on things. And I want to, want to hear more about it. It sounds like as we get closer to the winter time, we're going to need to have you back on the show. Yep. Yes, I would love so to So go come ahead and back. fill out a form in June. And we'll have you back by March months, we should be ready. <laughs> um, well, Sana, thank or Sana. Sana. Am I saying it correctly? You know, I'm going to write it down and I was like, you can read it. Can you write it in Korean? Because then I, I can, can actually. I can yes. Oh, I cannot. I will do that. <laughs> I will not be any closer to being able to pronounce it <laughs> from the Hangul, unfortunately. Is it that? Oh, wait, I spelled it wrong. I'm a dummy. <laughs> Where can one. people find you on the internet? Oh, yeah, on, I stopped talking. I was oh, like yes, waiting on for the-, the internet, you can find me at, at Sanaa Marie only, S U N A H Marie only on Instagram. On Instagram, yes, that is where I'm most <laughs> active. Um, I'm like, I'm on Twitter, but wait, I think my, my Twitter name is something else. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or you can find me, like, you can also go to my website, um, Sana M. Layborn, S-U-N-A-H-M-L-A-Y-B-O-U-R-N.com. It'll be in the show notes. Those are a lot of letters to remember. (laughs) Um, But yes, on Instagram, if you want to follow my weightlifting, look, my weightlifting journey and um, get motivational messages in the Instagram stories and, and just connect with me. Perfect. Well, as she said, it'll be in the show notes. She gets it. She's a podcaster. She knows where that stuff goes. Yep. Um, well, really, really appreciate having you or giving us your time uh, and being so vulnerable and open with us uh, about your story and really excited about the work you have coming out. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back here in a few months, maybe sooner. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I, Nathan does the scheduling, so don't ask me. <laughs> Nathan does the scheduling. Put it on me. Nathan, figure it out. <laughs> we'll put Nathan. it on Nathan. Um, but for right now, I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with a food or drink, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. Food time. Food yeah, I know. Time. You thought I was going to go foodie, 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 didn't you? I never know. I never know. <laughs> never, ever know. <laughs> Today, we are eating something hoppy. <laughs> I don't know, because that's what? what it says on the top of it. It says like H-A-P-I, hoppy. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if that means happy. I don't know if it's... I'm assuming that's a brand name. Yeah, I think it's the brand. I don't have anything else on my packaging, because I sent KJ the box, I think, or, or Patrick nope, the box. Nope, Patrick's got it. Patrick's this got is an easy but, open. Yeah. Ooh, this is pleasing to open. But it is oh, wait, a there's... frosted cookie stick with popping candy. So, yeah. yeah, we're moving into the very unhealthy snacks now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't All know right, any well, of our on the box, not a healthy. single bit of hangul. The only oh, thing yeah. that would even denote Korea, that this is a Korean product, is it says product of Korea. Yeah. Right there. Right. I checked so, on that one. We're going to have to do a little bit of internet sleuthing. To get any more information out of this box. Whoa! My mouth is like it's on a roller coaster. Is it popping? Whoa. This is wild. <laughs> oh goodness! Okay, you both giggling no! like school children. I can hear it. That's kind of making me scared to put it in my mouth. <laughs> wow! It is just like it is just like that pop it. candy. Yeah, but on a chocolate <laughs> stick. Goodness. <laughs> 
I like the hear it in the back of my head. <laughs> wow. I know my wife needs to have a piece of this. I know, but I gotta. I'm gonna. I'm gonna All right, I'll save her this one piece. Give it to her right now. That's wild. I wish there was more of these. Did you eat Pop Rocks one. as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So did I. I used to try like to find the big one and then just wait and just kind of pop it. I was always worried it was going to hurt because every once in a while, you know, it would explode in your mouth and it's like a hard candy. Your gums. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, man, this, Very this is a fun wild. treat. I have not had this in a long time. Like, you the know, fact I love it because I, I love chocolate. It's true, and it's got that like, and the the popping. So it's making like it hard to not talk so loud because all I can hear is the popping, right, in my ears. That, that's <laughs> what, it's like the back of your ears, though, right? It's like a really yeah, weird like, location where you're hearing immediately it. gets stuck right mm-hmm. in the back. Yeah. What? Like, wow, that's interesting. Ah, memories, memories of I childhood love it so candy. Much. Yeah, that's fun. I was. I'm upset that, that I only have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is only three in a box. Oh, wow. Luckily, so Maybe. you know. Luckily, he says. Luckily, luckily, there's three of us. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd never seen this at the store before. Um, and again, I just would never think of combining pop candy with chocolate sticks. So it's like, it really, is like a pop rocks met met peppero, and made a candy. Pop mm-hmm. rocks peppero. All right. <laughs> Popping in my mouth, let's go. Whatever the like biscuity cookie thing mm-hmm. is, it's not like a pretzel. No, uh, it's, it's like a it's Dunkaroo delicious. stick. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. The chocolate is solid. The pop rocks are popping, joyous, <laughs> like literally joyous, like worthy of like a hooray. Nice leading. Yes, I, I don't really have much to say other than. Yeah, I have Other not. Yet. They're freaking amazing. I have not given my kids pop rocks yet, but I'm uh, curious how they will feel about that someday. Are you holding off for the sugar of it? And you're yeah, like, you know we, what? The you more candy eat. we introduce them to, the more candy they want. Yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope. That's how it goes. <laughs> Trust <laughs> so, me, I know. <laughs> yeah, we're we're good right now with like a few things, but uh, uh, yeah, certain candies that I know that they're probably gonna like. Um, we're not like, for example, Valentine's Day, you know, you give candy and little snacks mm. in the class. They got like all these fun dips. You remember those? Yep. It's just uh, essentially sugar. With, uh, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sugar on a stick. And I'm like, no, they're not getting that. <laughs> let's, 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 let's wait for a little while on that. But uh, like they've never had Kool-Aid. They still have never had soda. But uh, someday, I mean, slowly. Oof, never had soda. Yeah, I know. Like That's probably Kool-Aid. Good. Take it Keep them away Never from had soda. That one's I mean, unless you consider lemonade soda, which I kind of don't. I do not. Yeah, because it comes out of the soda fountain machine. But yeah. That's oh, the most I see. I see. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. This is fun. That was soda talk with KJ and Nathan. Um, <laughs> soda. Time. So this soda hoppy, pop. Hoppy, poppy says stick. soda and who says pop? Uh, how many pops? How many? Uh, how many pops out of five? I'm giving it this? six out of five. Six out of five. Mm. Yeah. A one and one fifth. Because I, the level of joy that I experienced (laughs) is like, I mean, it's like my, my senses when we're on a roller coaster, like I would give anything a high rating just for the, like, just for the joy of it. Like 
I, I don't know that I can, there aren't a lot of foods where I'm just like put into that moment, but this one really did it for me. So six out of five, it was fun. I mean, if you don't like like Pop Rocks, then you're probably not going to enjoy it. But it's like it's a good tasting thing. This, like I said, yeah. the, the sticky thing tastes good. The chocolate's good, but the Pop Rocks are just like so much fun. I literally was like, if I don't <laughs> give this a Sarah, I'm going to eat the whole thing, and I have to do this right now. But like, so fun. And I was like, everyone just deserves a good laugh when they're. Eating. I don't know. It was just yeah, it was great. So six out of five. listener, huge smile on KJ's face as he's yeah. talking about this. Mm-hmm. You couldn't hear it, Nathan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a five out of five. I, I'm not, you know, I can't. I don't have much else to say other than whatever you know. Everything KJ said is is very true. I like the nostalgic part of it, um, but I also like that it's different because it's on a chocolate stick. Um, so I, I definitely yeah would uh, would eat again for sure. It sounded like you were going to try and justify why you weren't going to give it why six. Gonna <laughs> you were going to yeah, give know. it five. <laughs> I stay oh within the lines of the ratings. Sorry. We know who yeah. the rule follower is. Of the it was the square. <laughs> square. I'm square. Just because of that, I, just because of that, I'm also giving it a six out of five. This is a very oh, fun snack. This is a, I really enjoyed it. You know I Take love that. chocolate. You know I love chocolate. I've like it so much that I've actually saved a significant portion of it for my wife so Aww. she can also try it. Where normally wow. I would have already devoured the yeah, entire true. snack. Um, One bite. The Yeah, the pops <laughs> set it off. Uh, take it to another level of snack. I think if it yeah. was just the same thing, no pop, oh, it, it would was, be great. If there were no but, pops, I would give it like a three. But No like, pop, pops, it would be good. Yeah, but okay, but the pops do take it to the next level, which is what got me to six, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. from three to six. But anyways, <laughs> that's the food portion. Uh, go ahead and get your. Uh, will we link these in the show? I'm doing Hoppy. the show notes. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll see you if should. I can find them. Happy. <laughs> um, yeah, but if you don't happen to look at the show notes for some reason and you can't remember where it is that you want to try and find this snack, you can go find that. On our website, johnchyshow.com. You can also go there to see the stuff we have in our merch store, find out different ways to support us. Um, if you don't want to go to our website, but you want to follow us on other places, you can do that at John Chi Show and all of the other internet happenings. Uh, you can go join us on Facebook at the John Chi Show After Party, our fun Facebook group. And you can also send us an email to johnchyshow at justlikemedia.com. Send us an email. We love to hear your comments and rave reviews of all of us and our show. It feels so good. So, so good. You can also leave us... It's nice to feel like we're not shouting into the void. And the only way we know that is if you interact with us. If you interact with us and if you also want to shout into our void, you can do that at (laughs) 972-677-8867. That you can leave us a voicemail in our void. Again, that's (laughs) 972-677-8867. If you want to find me, you can do that at Patrick in the world, wherever I want to be found on the internet. I'm screaming into Patrick's uh, void. (laughs) (laughs) Please scream away. I'm at KJ Rilke uh, on all the places and KJ Rilke on LinkedIn. I'm the Asian one. (laughs) <laughs> also <laughs> i feel like if you're gonna steal my thing then i should yeah. steal oh, what you said that's true that's true Touché. so Touché. i am n nowak on instagram and uh nathan nowak on facebook and i did speaking of the facebook group i did put in an interactive uh, poll in there because i was curious to see what you guys like uh to see about our snacks and stuff and so what we eat so leave us that some poll feedback. still open 
I'm sure. I'm sure it's still open. Right? <laughs> I don't think polls he has no idea. He put Facebook. the poll out. I have no clue how many people have answered it. There could have been zero answers, to, uh, to my knowledge, at this moment. But uh, I will check right after well, this. Go on there <laughs> on the Facebook group and answer Nathan's poll. Let us know about the snack portion, uh, fellas. We did it. We've done it once again. Uh, Sana, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with yes. us. And for joining us, can't wait to have you back to talk more about your other work that you do, the book you got coming out, and all of that fun stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess until next week, we'll see you later, Jachi. (laughs) I've become Kermit. (laughs) Hey, everyone. You like Uh, Pop Rocks? That's good. Thanks. That was a good Kermit. All right, I'm going to go get this snack to my wife real quick. Ow, my legs.